Welcome back to another showing of Real Talk Sports. I'm Luke Stacey. I'm Jack Rubin. And we thank you for joining us again. Today we're going to uh, talk a little bit about the National Championships, the Final Four, um, what refs are doing to kind of ruin these games, Tony Romo and his decision to retire, Zion Williamson and whether he should decide to transfer in this upcoming season as he uh, prepares to enter college after this uh, 2018 senior season. We're going to talk a little bit about the NFL draft, Cavs and Blue Jackets slumping, and next year, way too early look at the college basketball season. So let's start with national championship. Jack, what are your thoughts on that game? Well, it was a pretty unfortunate game, actually, just from just from watching. It made me almost want to turn it off, and that's, that's pretty sad. Uh, obviously, North Carolina really struggled in that first half, but I think the key to this game was the fact that they were only down three. Yeah, you and I were talking about this earlier. The one thing that I just that I didn't like about this year's March Madness was in years past there's always been that one player you look you look at and you're like I can't wait to watch this guy play. And I feel like this tournament kind of lacked it. Tyler Dorsey kind of tried yeah, to become it. Well a little Thornwell bit. tried to become it, but I mean it still kind of yeah, lacks yeah. that guy where you're like, yeah, this is the guy that that can take it over. Yeah, it was unfortunate, and there especially wasn't really a star between the two teams. I mean. There was no All-Americans in that game. When you look at it, there's honestly only one legit future NBA prospect, yeah. and it's Zach Collins, yeah. which is kind of amazing because he wasn't even a starter this season. And, and he may not even be a one-and-done. It'll be close, but maybe not. It could be a big part of what uh, Gonzaga is next year. Yeah. But, um, you know, part of me feels like Gonzaga proved me wrong has to make me swallow my pride a little yeah. bit. They hung tough in the Nash Championship, but at the same time, I mean – can can uh, Justin Jackson play any worse from oh, anywhere no. outside of six feet in a in a game as big as that? Yeah, it, Gonzaga really should have won the game. UNC played the worst game probably in the last ten or fifteen games. Uh, one of the games they lost coming into that was the Duke game in the ACC championship, and they played way better than that. And uh, they still found a way to win the national championship. So Gonzaga's got to be looking on this like a missed opportunity. The thing that I thought was really fun to look back on was um. Both of these teams might have played their closest competition in the round of 32 with Gonzaga yeah. having a legit upset shot against uh, Northwestern, mm-hmm. potentially losing that. And, you know, UNC being outplayed for 36 minutes yeah. against Arkansas before the Arkansas Razorbacks just totally choked on the stretch. Yeah, UNC finishing with a 12-0 run in that one. So, yeah, it it is interesting. But I think the one thing a lot of people are going to take away from this game and it's sad. It's not the teams. It's the refs. The refs really took away from the flow of this game. It was it was pretty disappointing all around. Yeah, you know, you look at it, and they, there's 44 fouls called in the Nash Championship, which is just absolutely unacceptable. You can't can't be there to put your fingertips fingerprints all over the game. It's got to be something where you know if it's blatantly obvious, you call it, and you make sure the game doesn't get out of control. It shouldn't be something where you're a uh, a factor in the outcome of it. Yeah, and the two things that really make me mad are the fact that it's six fa- or five fouls to uh, foul out in the game. Uh, obviously, Karnowski, Collins. Collins was the one that fouled out, and then Meeks from North Carolina. They were some of the best players on their team, and they couldn't play the, in the final seconds of the game because the, the refs just took over the game. The guys in black stripes really decided the game. And you look at some of the foul calls, and, you know, obviously there's going to be some that are legitimate, but then there were some where I was just like, you know, why why are we calling this? What is? And it's not even the fact that it's an out championship. In general, this should not be called. Is it really basketball anymore if we can't even just lay a finger on someone? I really don't think it is. It's it's very soccer-like out there. Yeah, I'm tired of, I'm tired of refs deciding games, and uh, there's something that needs to be done about it. The one thing that you and I have talked about, which 
I am totally for happening. I don't know if they've ever even talked about it, but I wouldn't be opposed to basketball coaches being allowed a, cha- a cup challenge yeah, in the game the yeah. way that you know NFL coaches are allowed to do and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a, that's going to be a little tough with fouling, I think. I think scoring-wise, I think there should definitely be a challenge. Some of the goaltends we've seen in the NCAA tournament this year – the refs have really missed. I mean, look at the Northwestern game. Yeah, exactly. A, the, the dude, dude puts his arms through the hoop, blocks yeah. a shot that would have moved it down to a one-possession game. Gonzaga might not even be there if yeah. Northwestern had a challenge. And instead, it opens up to a five-point or seven-point game yeah. because yeah. of two technicals, because the ref is arguing something that is legit. You know, yeah. he's right. Yeah. And he gets punished for that, which I think is just asinine, which, why, which is why I think it would be fun to see him. Um, coaches get the opportunity the, to challenge the two other things i think the ncaa needs to change is if they're going to call these ticky tack fouls you got to make it six fouls we need our best players on the court at all times uh the other thing i would do is maybe make the bonus up to it's seven right now i'd maybe make it eight and then the double bonus probably 12 that way we're not shooting free throws 12 minutes in just on ticky tack fouls yeah i agree so Let's go ahead and move on to our way too early predictions for next year's basketball season, college-wise. Who do you see as the legit title threats going into next year, and and um, you know which which teams are the teams to beat? Man, after looking at the recruiting, uh, the recruiting classes coming into next year, I really think Arizona is the one team on my radar. They got the number two recruit, and who many feel is the number one, DeAndre Ayton. Uh, he's he's a 6'10 power forward. He's going to be a matchup problem for a lot of teams. They return Alonzo Trier, who's a great player, too. So, I mean, I, I like Arizona, the Pac-12. Uh, my team is also from the Pac-12, depending on who they get back. Yeah. If Oregon even gets two-thirds of Dorsey, Brooks, and Bell back, I think they're a legit top 10, top 5 team. And if they mm-hmm. get all three back, there, they have to be the team to oh, be yeah. heading into next yeah. year. And there's just way too much talent there, along with a great recruiting class coming yeah, in. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's all there for them if they if they decide to come back and give it one more crack at it. I think that's the toughest team to predict right now out of all the teams. They just have three guys that may stay or may go. And I really hope they all do stay because I, I hope the three of them combine in that. Uh, they're definitely going to be a national championship predict- prediction if they do that. They um they could do what we talked about just a minute ago with uh, I I could see Tyler Dorsey being somebody that yeah. is that guy that next year everybody's like wow he's on TV I'm mm-hmm. excited I want to tune in I want to make sure that I watch because yeah. you know like this year there were some spectacular yeah. spectacular moments that he had in the NCAA tournament whether it was uh, the three against Michigan to put them up to yeah. end the game or. You know, he was huge against Kansas, hitting big shot after big shot when momentum was swinging. Mm-hmm. He could he could be the guy that next year everybody looks and, looks at. Him. And who out of the Big Ten you think has got the best chance? This one's actually kind of crazy to me because I've never they've had some good teams, but yeah. next year they they are going to be a great team. It's Minnesota. Yeah. Minnesota is going to be really really good. Yeah. Returning virtually everybody, yeah. and uh, along along with that, adding a couple high level yeah, recruits. Yeah, um, Michigan State's the other one. I, I personally agree with you. I like Minnesota as well to return the entire roster. Michigan State's got a couple good recruits. Unfortunately, Bridges is probably going to leave. He's going to be a lottery pick in the NBA. But uh, Michigan State's definitely top three. Purdue up there. Northwestern actually returns the entire squad. Northwestern. That's pretty dangerous. Northwestern next year, if they play to their potential, the one thing that is going to decide a lot is their ability of whether 
or not they're going to be able to take on that role of being a team that a lot of teams are chasing after. This year they played the underdog role and they played it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously this being their first year making an NCAA tournament, it was all fun. But, you know, now they're now they're a team everybody respects and they're going to get every team's best shot. Yeah, they actually have expect- expectations now, which is a little different for that entire program. But the Big Ten is going to be pretty similar to, to this year, I think. Uh, teams, I don't know any of them that can be in the top ten or even have a national championship shot. Uh, I do think 10 teams, nine or 10 teams could get in. Uh, Penn State, Iowa, Maryland, uh, Indiana, they all have chances to do the same. Michigan as well. So I think it's going to be very similar to this year. And also, there's not that that standout player in the Big Ten uh, like we've been accustomed to seeing. The thing that was really fun for me to think back on the other day was in our very first podcast, we talked about how we didn't think Big Ten had a legit Final Four team, but we talked about how we thought they had a lot of Sweet 16 potential. Yeah. And turns out they get three of the Sweet 16, almost a quarter of it, mm-hmm. and all three all are gone by the time yeah. Elite Eight is there. Yeah. So, I mean, we pretty much hit that on the head, which yeah. is cool. But, yeah, let's um let's talk a little bit about, you know, dude that everybody is yeah. loving across the country Speaking right of now. Uh, standout players, here's one that definitely could be one, Zion Williamson out of South Carolina, goes to Spartanburg Day School uh, down there. He is a force and definitely has uh, drawn realistic comparisons to the next LeBron James. Yeah, the thing is, is there you hear the saying, he's got all the stuff you can't teach, yep. but Zion Williamson is that to the nth degree. He yeah. is so incredibly gifted. It's not even just that he is above average. He is in the top. Point zero one percent in almost every measurement you can draw up. He's six eight two forty and is basically going to be a point guard in college basketball. That's really scary to think about. Borderline fifty inch vertical. Yeah. dude is. He's got the handles. He's got everything that you could possibly need. I just don't. He's one of those players that I really view as a can't miss prospect. Mm-hmm. I don't see a, a situation where he doesn't turn into at least a really good NBA oh, yeah. player. The, th- the thing for me is not questioning whether he's going to be a stud in the college of basketball and even the NBA. It's how many top 10 plays he makes on SportsCenter. And that's that's a freakishly good athlete there in Zion. Yeah, the one thing that we are talking about is whether or not Zion Williamson should transfer because the the level he's playing right now – it is amazing how he's performing regardless, yeah. but, you know, it'd be better. It might be better for him if he were to transfer to another school where he plays more top 25, 50, 100 prospects yeah. in the country compared to playing at a small school yeah. in you South know, Carolina. He, he plays against a lot of really small players. If you look at, if you look in his elite mixtape uh, collection, there's just, like, no top 100 players ever, and they're all under six feet. There's just, there's just not the athletic ability on the opposing teams now if he transfers to somewhere like oak hill i think he's going to get all the room in the world to uh practice against better players yeah it's not that i think he needs to transfer to prove himself i think it's just he needs to transfer so that way when he translates to the college game and nba game he's more prepared to play style of players that are a much higher level than what he's seeing on a daily basis right now yeah there's no doubt about that Let's go on to uh, one of the most historic upsets in this uh, sporting world history, and that was UConn women going down on Saturday night to Mississippi State. Yeah, the thing that was incredible about it is, I don't know if many of our viewers watch um, women's college basketball. Probably but, not. <laughs> but 
Mississippi State actually got clobbered by UConn last yeah. year, lost by 60. Yeah. And the coach made it a point of emphasis to, you know, let them know all season long, this is the same team that you lost by 62. Yeah. And, and it was something they went out with a um, chip on their shoulder to prove we're not anywhere close to that same team. And, and not only are we going to compete in this game, we are wanting to win it. We are in it. And what's amazing is the fact they still won even after, again, back to the refs, one of the worst foul calls I think I've ever seen. Not only was it a foul, it was a flagrant. How can you call a girl for a flagrant foul on a incidental hit to the yeah. face when she's six inches, inches shorter, shorter than the girl? Yeah. She's just going for the ball, and her, her arm happens to be six inches shorter. And when she goes up for it, it hits her in the face. Again, and it's very soccer-like. And it went from UConn needing a bucket just to push it to double OT to them having a tied game and potential last possession, which was played out horribly, by the way. Is, is that one of the biggest upsets you've seen? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're riding a 111-game win streak, and nobody's even really sniffing you. You're yeah. winning by 15 on the absolute worst, worst of days day. yeah. and to all of a sudden, you know, lose to a team that last year you beat by 60 and with uh, Gino Oriema winning so many, so many games and yeah. so many national championships to lose in that fashion, I think was uh, definitely one of the biggest upsets I've ever seen. And not only was Mississippi state the second best team, they, they just weren't, they were the, they were a second seed. They were probably the sixth or seventh best team. Uh, in the entire nation. So it's not like UConn just lost to the second-best team. Fun stat, um, out of the four times UConn has now lost in the Final Four, the team that they lost to has always gone on to lose in the National yeah, Championship. Yeah, So it does ruin it a little bit, actually, for Mississippi State. I mean, they did beat uh, UConn, but unfortunately they couldn't get it done. Yeah, so uh, let's go ahead and move on now to another segment with, you know, we're gonna kind of going to – put these together but yeah. Cavs and Blue Jackets both just kind of stumbling across the yeah. finish line they're kind of in both similar situations I feel like uh they're losing to the really really good teams so it's not a huge uh dilemma to continue to to win for either one of them I mean they got playoff spots locked up uh I do think the Blue Jackets however are in a little bit better situation in hockey it's a little bit more about luck so right now they're they're clearly not using their luck at all, uh, but they're they're having the same physical uh, appearance in all their games. Whereas the Cavs, it doesn't seem like that they just really don't care at all. Yeah, see, I think that goes back in like hand in hand though. Yeah. I mean, Cavs, while they do look like they don't care and whatnot, I think part of that is just you know they've been to the playoffs, they've done it before. Yeah. It's like they're in a kind of let's just get it started yeah. mode. Well thing with the Blue Jackets right now is they're still they're still proving themselves so tonight's game is absolutely massive against biggest one of the regular season I believe yeah Yeah. they they need this one against Pittsburgh bad they need that seventh home game in a a series to you know potentially beat the Penguins in the first round get their first ever series victory and they don't clinch it tonight but definitely that's that's probably the biggest step yeah I mean and it's not like Blue Jackets. The thing that I like a lot about what I've seen, even though they were down 3-0 to mm-hmm. the Capitals, fought back. you fought back. And, yeah. and you made it a game, and you had a amazing chance to tie it yeah. with, within the last Four 10 seconds, seconds of the game. Yeah, so so they are, they're more than fine, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that they've just you know caught a little bad luck, like you said, and I think they'll write the ship down the stretch last five, four or five games. Yep, yep. And 
and get a little streak going to the playoffs before they probably meet Pittsburgh again. And one difference is is that Columbus is going to go have to play probably the second best team in the entire league uh, in their first round series, while the Cavs are going to go play the 15th or 16th best team in the league. So there's a big difference there. Yep. So the other big, big headline coming out today was Tony Romo is officially retiring from football and is now going to become a broadcaster. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a darn smart decision on both sides uh, between Romo and CBS. I think CBS really needed to get rid of Phil Simms in the broadcasting booth. I do think he's all right. Uh, He has that NFL Showtime show. Uh, I think he could be on the NFL uh, Today show. But, man, Romo being gone from football, I think think it's a good decision for him. His back, it was going to go down hard for him. See, it's a good decision for him, but as a selfish fan, I absolutely hate it. I love Tony Romo, and I think that he has gotten so much undeserved crap. Yeah. There have been times, I mean, a couple years ago, he took what was statistically maybe the worst defense in the history of the NFL to an 8-8 eight and eight season, and he played Denver that year mm-hmm. really tight and, and lost on Thanksgiving 52-49, yeah. threw a late interception, and all of a sudden everybody wants to declare him the reason they lost that game. Dude throws six touchdowns, and... Yeah. And he just continues to get crap. The one that really hurt him was was the mishold in the playoffs uh, the, yeah. <laughs> that ended up costing them a chance. But, you know, I, I do feel bad for him. I think it would have been a lot of fun to see him go to Houston or Denver. And he could have honestly turned either of those teams into a legit Super Bowl threat. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it is what is best for him as far as health concerns go because – we all know what his history is with those um, sort of complications. And one of the stats most people don't realize, uh, people claim him as a choker, but he actually has the most fourth-quarter game-winning drives in the entire NFL since about 2004, I think it was, with 32. So that's that's quite a stat. He's beating Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, all future Hall of Famers. Tony's probably not going to be a future Hall of Famer. He only has two playoff wins. Uh, does have great stats, but I don't think he's going to get there. Yeah, the one thing that I think will be really interesting, and I'm not saying that I believe that this will happen by any means, but it would be interesting to see if Dak Prescott all of a sudden started getting figured out and and people, teams started to find a game plan that didn't work for Dak Prescott and and all of a sudden they need Tony Romo. What are the chances that Brett Favre situation comes back? I wouldn't be totally surprised if if Tony Romo came back. I, I think... He's definitely going to take one to two years off, and then I wouldn't be surprised if three years from now, two he's just going to give it a one-year run. He I feel thinks like. he thinks you know what I've got one more little little bit in me, and yep. and I never got that ring, I never got to the Super Bowl, and and I think I can do it this year. So yep. I I would love it, and I hope as a as a uh, very selfish fan that he does decide to come back down the road. But like I said, health comes first. He's yep. got to take that into consideration, and hell of a career regardless. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the NFL, let's talk a little bit about the NFL draft. Obviously, we know who the first pick is going to be. Miles Garrett, he's an absolute freak. He's going to go to Cleveland uh, unless they trade for a quarterback and use their picks. But again, the quarterbacks, that's really the situation that most people can't figure out yet. Yeah, when you look at some of the guys that are at the top of the NFL draft boards right now, as far as quarterbacks go, it's Mitch Trubisky, Deshaun Kaiser, Deshaun Watson, and Patty Mahomes, with mm-hmm. Davis Webb kind of starting yeah, to throw of. his name in that circle, but yep. still has some room to go if he wants to try to get in with those top four. But um, which one do you view as the best NFL quarterback well, out of those four? Out of those ones, there's only one that 
is really a winner. Uh, they all kind of have the same talent level, I feel like, but Deshaun Watson is coming off a national championship, and NFL teams are really going to look at uh, who has the winners, who has the rings, and that's Deshaun Watson. The thing that's weird to me to look at is last year when I watched the regular season, Deshaun Watson wasn't great. He was really inconsistent. You would get some games where he was amazing, like Louisville. He played really well. But then you get a game like Troy when he played horrible. NC State, too. NC State, terrible. But, I mean, when you look at it, dude played in four college football playoff games and lit all four four games up and, and just put up some numbers that are amazing against one of the best Alabama defenses defenses of all time. Do you see any of these guys being long-term starters in the NFL? That's tough to me. Part of me, I mean, I like Deshaun Watson, but yeah. it worries me that he did struggle against some lesser teams yeah. last year because it makes me wonder if he'll become complacent at some points during the regular season yeah. in the NFL. Mitch Trubisky Unproven. Hasn't, hasn't, he wasn't bad by any means. He's actually yeah. really good last year. But it's one year, mm-hmm. so it's hard to take that sample size and be like, yeah, I think this guy's going to be a great NFL quarterback. Yeah. So I think if I had to bet on one of them, I would say Mitch Trubisky. Really? But Deshaun Watson is a proven winner, so I wouldn't be surprised if he also finished up as a starting quarterback. Yeah, I'm going to go with Watson as well. Yeah. So let's go ahead and wrap this up with our weekly segment of FaceTime. I'll start it off. A uh, big shout-out to my Cleveland Indians starting out with a incredible comeback against last year's AL League uh, AL league leaders and wins, conference leader and wins. And, you know, we were down 5-1. Kluber didn't look like Klubot. And we still found a way to battle back. Our biggest offseason addition in the history of the organization comes through clutch, very first game of the season, ties it up 5-5. Then you get comeback boy Michael Brantley, chipping in at RBI in the ninth inning. It just set up so perfectly, and and Lindor played terribly, and we still ended up coming back, beating one of the best teams in the league. So I'm really looking forward to this season, and that was a great way to start it off. Yeah, and I know we already mentioned this, but, man, a couple hours before the game, and I'm already starting to sweat, uh, CBJ and Penns tonight in Pittsburgh. Uh, It's pretty much game one out of eight, I feel like. Um, I was talking to my dad about this. It's it's game one of eight. the road team usually struggles in these, uh, so the Blue Jackets being the road team, I mean, I'm not going to be surprised if they, they can't find a way to win this one, but I at least hope they can get into overtime. That way, if they do lose the game, they can still have a chance to uh, get that home home advantage on uh, Game 7 during the playoffs. But, man, go Jackets. So we thank you for joining us this week on another edition of Real Talk Sports. We're sorry that we had to post it on Tuesday. Just wanted to give you guys a, a rundown of the national championship, which is why we postponed it. We will still be returning back on Sunday night this yep. upcoming week and uh, look forward to you guys joining us again. So thank you and, uh, you know, go Jackets. Yeah.